name of your son, Jesus. I ask your anointing, Lord God, upon your word as it goes forth. I step aside. This is yours, Lord God. We give you all the glory and all the honor and praise. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Well, this is the final part of war stories. We had, we had ghost stories before, which was not so spooky stories about the Holy Spirit, okay? And, and, and then for the last three weeks and today, we have a series called War Stories, which is really not too scary stories about spiritual warfare. So we had the Holy Spirit, and then this will be our fourth message on spiritual warfare. If you've missed any of them, you can go online at livingfaithyoungsville.com and just click on messages and you can hear and catch up if you've missed some of these messages, okay? So I told y'all on the last one, I was going to give you an actual war story. I was going to tell you a story. And of course, today's story involves the story that so many of us have heard, but like Caleb said on the announcements, uh, it's a story about David and Goliath, but today's going to have a little twist to it. And I've titled this message by the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, David and the Little Man. David and the Little Man, okay? Okay, now in today's passage, in, in today's text, we're going to see a very famous battle scene, okay? War stories, a battle scene that, that is going to reveal to you the principles and it's going to illustrate the strategies of the enemy and also our strategy as Christians on the battlefield of David and Goliath and bring forth some of the things that we've learned in the last three weeks. Things like how the enemy tries to undermine the character and the credibility of God. How the enemy tries to generate havoc and division among our ranks. How he tries to get you to trust in your own strength. He doesn't want you realizing who is fighting for you. And he wants to keep you frightened and intimidated and fearful. We've learned these things in the last few weeks. He doesn't want you knowing that your weapons are what? Mighty in God for pulling down all those strongholds and those things that would lift themselves up against the knowledge of God. Basically, the enemy wants you unaware of who he really is and who you really are in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, the two main characters in today's story are two guys. Would y'all come on up here just for a second? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna give y'all an illustration here, okay? I, I, I want to illustrate something to y'all, okay? In, in today's story, we have in this corner, the super, 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 super heavyweight champion of the world, weighing in at 565 pounds, never been defeated, never been put down. From the city of Gath, we have the man of the world, Goliath, who is a man-eating, man-chewing, man-spitting out who has slaughtered tens of thousands of people. In this corner, we have from the town of Bethlehem, his challenger weighing in at 120 pounds soaking wet. His name is David, son of Jesse the sheep farmer, who has never been in a heavyweight fight with a human in his life. In today's main event, as the champion comes in with his suit of armor weighing 200 pounds and his spearhead weighing 25 pounds, we will have the challenger with a slingshot weighing 10 ounces and a stick weighing a pound and a half. Houston, We have big problems. Okay, y'all can be seated. (laughs) I wanted y'all to get the point here. Now, this, my friends, in reality, even more so than that, because Goliath, they say, was nine and a half feet tall. And David was just a boy. This was a setup for a brutal, terrible, massacre. This 
120-pound kid, and I'm guessing 120 pounds. He was a kid. He may have been less than that. Walking onto the battlefield with a nine-and-a-half-foot seasoned warrior. What was it about this young man? What was it about this young shepherd boy that allowed him to go onto that battlefield with this incredible Hulk? You remember that show, The Incredible Hulk? With this incredible Hulk. And in reality, church, listen to me carefully. In reality, this story is about a little man who is really a very big man. And a very big man who in reality is a very little man. Now, stay engaged with me so that you can see what I'm talking about and see the twist that the Holy Spirit's given me to this story. And let's look at David's secret of victory and what made him the giant in this story. Goliath, the little man. David, the big man. And the little man, Goliath. Let's read the passage. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Listen carefully. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They put up their camp and their tents in Ephesus between Sukkoth and Azekah. Saul and Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Eli and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites on the other. And it says, a champion named Goliath. A champion. Now, let me explain what that means. They had a system in that day that was called, it was, it was representative warfare. And instead of their armies going against each other and, and, and battling it out and losing three quarters of their armies... What they would do is they would choose what they called a champion. Israel did the same thing. You can look it up in 2 Samuel. Israel, against their enemies, used to choose a champion. And the two armies would face off, and a champion from this army would come out, and a champion from this army would come out, and basically they would let one represent this army, and this one represent this army and this nation. And then they would battle it out. This didn't always happen, but they got this practice from the Greeks, Okay? So we have the two armies here, the Philistine army and we have the Israeli army who have faced off in this battle. Now, the champion for the Philistines, Goliath, of course, nine and a half feet tall. He's wearing the suit that weighs 200 pounds. He's got a spearhead that weighs 25 pounds. Can you imagine what the spear looked like? I started to get a big two by four and try to make a spear on the head. Of it, but I thought it'd be awkward picking it up. And it says here in Scripture that Goliath stood and shouted to the Israeli army, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants, slaves, or subjects. But if I overtake him and kill him, you will become our subjects and you will serve us. Now, keep that in mind because at the end of the story, you're going to see that they welched on their word. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight it out, each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They would run, Scripture says. Now, David, the son of Ephrathite, whose, whose daddy's name was Jesse... Okay, it was from Bethlehem, and Jesse had eight sons. It says Jesse was getting kind of old in age, and his sons, his three oldest sons, were in this battle. They were in Saul's army, and his three oldest sons were out there on the battlefield. And so he sends David back and forth to bring supplies and to get reports for Pop back at home on how the battle's doing and how the three oldest sons. Wouldn't you want to do the same if you could? Even today in Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever our troops are, you have laptops, you have these little computers, and people can speak. Wouldn't that be a nice thing with your children? Okay? And Scripture says that Goliath comes out for 40 days back every time, every morning and every evening. So in the morning and the evening... The Israeli army is discouraged, put down, mocked, made fun of by this nine-and-a-half-foot brute 
of a man, okay? And after about the 39th day, they are really depressed. They're going, this does not look good for us, okay? Now, David takes the supplies that his daddy sends him with. He goes out to the battlefield, okay? He puts another shepherd in charge of the sheep that he's taking care of, and he goes out there to meet his brothers, okay? And it says, as he's, as he's there, he, he hears this giant who is taunting the Israeli army, okay? Goliath, the Philistine champion, verse 21, steps out from his lines and shouts his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelis saw the man, they would all run in fear. But David heard how he was mocking Israel. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out and he defies Israel. The king's going to give great wealth to the man who kills him. He's going to give his own daughter. And man, she's young and pretty. And he's going to exempt the entire family from taxes if he can kill that giant. Now, David's standing there, and he says, what did y'all say that will come the way of the guy who kills this giant? And so they tell him. They say, well, he'll get great riches. Now, y'all keep this in your mind because I'm going somewhere with it. He'll get the, the king's daughter, and his family won't have to pay taxes ever again. How would y'all like to not have to ever pay taxes again? Right? Okay. Now, if you're married, you already got the king's daughter. Y'all not catching this. That's nothing to do with the story, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> you already got the king's daughter, okay? The, the no taxes would be real good. And we're going to talk about the giant here in a second, all right? Now, David asked him there what, what it was. They told him, okay? Then his brother Eliab, one of the oldest sons, starts fussing at David. He says, what are you doing here, man? Kid, what, 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 what you doing here? Go back, you, you, you little pimply-faced kid. Go, go back over there and take care of the sheep because you're probably here to mock us. He said, you have a wicked heart. Just go away. He was probably jealous of David is what it is. All right? So David says, hey, brother, what's the deal? What have I done? Okay? Now, when the guys heard what David was talking about because David had said, who... Who is this guy, and what's going to happen if whoever beats him? They went back to Saul, and they said, this is kid asking all these questions. And Saul said, he says, bring him to me, okay? Because David had, David says, he says, who, who is this man? Who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine? And then David goes to Saul, and listen to what in verse 32. It's very important. I want you to catch this. He tells Saul, let no one lose heart. On account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. And Saul says, you're not able to go out against this guy. He says, you're just a young boy. And he said, this is a seasoned warrior. But David says to Saul, listen, your servant, David, has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear would come and take one of the sheep away from the, sheep away from the flock, I would go after that lion or after that bear to rescue him. And, and I would kill, I would strike that bear or that lion and kill it and take the sheep back. And verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. The same God that gave me the ability to kill a lion or to kill a bear will give me the ability to kill this giant. Saul says, okay, if you want to commit suicide, go ahead. But here, at least let me put my armor on you. So he put on his armor. Remember, we went over the full armor of God. Last week, we had Brother Daniel with the bulletproof vest and the helmet and all the stuff. Remember that? What, what, was that cool or what? Okay. And so he puts that armor on David. Now, David is this high and that big, and here's Saul, because Scripture says Saul was a head taller than any other man in Israel. So he puts on this suit, and he's walking around. Can you imagine with it clanging all over him and just walking around? And he says, he, he says uh, uh, King Saul, listen, I appreciate your heart in this, but you're trying to protect me, but this, I can't even hardly walk in your suit of armor 
I can't hardly, I surely won't be able to fight in this suit of armor. And so he takes off. Are you catching this? We talked about it last week. He takes off his armor, gives it back to the world's champion. To the champion of the world. Are you catching this? And puts on the armor of God. And we talked about it last week. He puts on the armor of God. Verse 45. And listen. Let let me back up a little bit. David goes out and he stops and he gets five stones that are real smooth. He's got his little staff in his hand and his slingshot, his sling. Okay? That they would twirl like this. Have you all ever seen those? And they twirl. And when they would twirl, it's even more than a slingshot like we think of. And when they circle that, those two strings and shoo, they let it go, that thing just flies like a bullet. And that's all he has. I imagine he's probably wearing some Levi jeans. They might have been cutoffs. He's got some sandals. He's got his shepherd's pouch on the side with five rocks inside that pouch. And he faces this giant of a man. There's Goliath with his armor bearer in front of him. And he looks David over and he says, he chuckles, I can imagine. He looks at him and he saw he was just a boy, ruddy, handsome. He despised him. It made him mad. And he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and the beasts of the fields. And David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut your head off. And today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds in the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Say with me right now, church, there is a God in Israel. Say with me, church, right now, there is a God in Youngsville. Come on. Say with me, there is a God in Broussard. Come on, say with me now, there is a God in Lafayette. Say with me now, come on. Wherever you live, Abbeville, wherever. Come on, say with me right now, there is a God in Youngsville. Amen. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. You see, that's what David understood, okay? And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, four or five weeks ago in the series on the Holy Spirit, we went over the story about Gideon. Do you notice the similarity of the words? They're exactly the same words. Why would God take 30,000 seasoned warriors and soldiers and dwindle them down to 300 So that Gideon could win. And the scripture says, so that Israel will know that the battle is the Lord's. Say it with me now, church. There is a God in Youngsville. And the battle is the Lord's. Now y'all getting it. I think y'all getting it. Y'all kind of sound like y'all getting it. I'm going to put Daniel. He's my sergeant. I'm going to put Daniel in charge of y'all. If if y'all aren't doing it, he's going to go over there with a stick. No, I'm kidding you. I'm just kidding you. So David looks at him, grabs his sling, and starts running. David ran in verse 51. He ran. He goes. He's reaching. He's, he, he moves closer and ran. I'm sorry, verse 48. And ran quickly toward the battle. Takes his sling. Hits Goliath right on the forehead. I'm sure just cracked his skull and dented. And nine and a half feet of boasting flesh, listen to me church, nine and a half feet of worldly flesh, 
nine and a half feet, 565 pounds. And I just estimated that weight for nine and a half feet. Nine and a half feet, 560 pounds of fleshly intimidation and boasting and bragging and pride hit the ground. Can you imagine what happened when that big hump hit the ground? The dust probably went out 10 feet on each side and you probably heard boom when he hit the ground. Now, can you imagine the entire Israeli army watching a 120-pound kid who has never been in a heavyweight fight in his whole life charging toward nine and a half feet of seasoned soldier who has defeated tens of thousands of people? I imagine they're probably saying, hey, guys, come check this out. This kid must have been smoking the flaxseed oil. Come check it. He's high on something, man. He's charging. Come check it out. Come see this. Come see this. We're fixing to have a resurrection here. Look, God would have to change like with Lazarus. It would probably be, instead of the story of David and Goliath, it would probably God raises 400 pieces of David from the dead. He'd have to sew him together, right? Can you imagine this scene as the army is looking because they were each up on a hill and they're looking down in the valley and say, guys, come check this. Who is this kid? It's the son of Jesse, David. Now, what made this story into David and the little man instead of David and the giant. You see, because every time I've already heard this story told, it's always been David and this giant and the giant. This giant Goliath. No, 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 no. David was the giant. Goliath was the little man. Now, what made David a giant? Listen to me carefully, church. Two keys to spiritual victory in your life. Two spiritual keys to victory in your life, wherever you are, whatever you're gone through, whether it's loss of job, whether it's confusion, whether it's relationship problems in your marriage, if it's problems with your children. And, and I'm sorry I forgot to announce, but Miss Jesse and Brother Lee, uh, they, they buried their dad, Mr. Cormier, this week. And, and we're with you all, Jesse. But you could have just lost a loved one. You could be going through pain and, and, and sorrow in your life. What is it? That made David the giant. What made David nine and a half feet tall? Listen to me carefully, church. His heart was after God. David was all heart and all after God. All after God. First, Cham First Samuel, back one chapter in chapter 16, verse 7. When David is anointed, when, when the prophet Samuel has gone to find the new king because King Saul had disobeyed God and God said, I will remove my anointing from you and replace you because I am looking. Now, here's what David is called. For I am looking, God said, for a man after God's own heart. And David is a man after God's own heart. He's all heart. And Samuel comes and anoints him, not the other brothers. That could be why they were mad at David on the battlefield because Samuel passed up all the ones that looked like kings, all the ones that looked like executives, all the ones with all the degrees, all the brothers that would, you'd say, well, they'll be the next ones. And he picked a little runt. And God said, listen, church, God said, anoint him, for I am not a God that looks at the exterior as man does, for I am a God that looks at the heart. And David was all heart, and his heart was after God. How many of you know that how tall you are, how strong you are, how politically connected you are, how much money you have, how good-looking you are, or any of those things have anything to do with being spiritually victorious in your life? He was all heart, and that heart was all after God. Secondly, he had God's anointing on his life. We just saw that. He was anointed a whole horn, it says, like a big ram's horn that was filled up with oil and poured. It wasn't like we just kind of dab a little bit of oil on you right here. They poured a whole horn of oil on David's head, Samuel did. And he was anointed by God. Now, you say, that's a nice spiritual word, Brother Marshall. What, what do you mean here by anointing? 
Okay, y'all have all heard that, I hope. Anointing, the anointing of God upon your life. Let me give you the simplest, most best, best definition that you can remember about the anointing of God. It is the power and the presence, the power and the presence of God on your life. The power and the presence of God on your life. The Holy Spirit's all over you. You glow, you have joy, you have favor, you have victory in your life. You have the presence of God in your life because you have the anointing of God upon you. Well, how do you get that? Is that something, Marshall, that you can go buy at Walmart or you can go to the Christian bookstore and say, I'd like some of that anointing of God. Well, we have some anointing oil right here that smells real good, but I'd like to buy some of that anointing of God. I would like to order it online. You can order anything online today. Could I please order it? I would like to do something that would, please, tell me how I can get that anointing. Can I inherit it from my parents? They were anointed. My daddy was very anointed, so I should be anointed also. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. God is a sovereign God, and he chooses who he will anoint for his purposes in life. But I can tell you this. If you want to get real close and have a better chance of getting the anointing of God, listen to me, church. If you are in his presence all the time, and if you are in his word all the time, and you are in prayer and fasting all the time, let me tell you something. you got a pretty good chance that he will choose you and anoint you. And if you ask him and pray every day, Lord, anoint me. Anoint me, Lord. I desire your anointing, Lord God. He will look down and say, son, we got one right there. Holy Spirit, put it on him. And you will be anointed because you have to be in his presence. You know, I tell the men's group every Friday. Not, I don't tell them this every Friday, but we meet every Friday morning at 530. So if you're serious about God, come join us at 530 right here behind in, in the little fellowship hall right there. And I tell them, you know, it's just a fact. I find myself every week, uh, someone just asked me today, they said, are, are, are you Brother Francis? And I said, no, I'm gray and old as he is almost, but I said, no, I'm not Brother Francis. Well, let, let, let me tell you something. This last week, I, I, I was working back here with, with my brother Adrian all day long, and we were rubbing off on each other because we were together. And I tell the men's group, this is just a fact. I find myself all the time. I told Brother Francis that the other day. I say stuff and I say, whoa, Brother Francis said that just like that. Because I was around him for 20 years. And I would go to him and say, Brother Francis, what can I do? I got a day off. I got this. What can I do? Come to my house. You'll help me work there. We'll spend together and everything else. Guess what? When I'm gone, y'all are going to be saying, you know, it's like Brother Marshall used to say. You hang around long enough and it rubs off on you. You want the anointing of God? Hang around God long enough. And it'll come upon you and you'll have it like David because he'll say, there's someone I can anoint with my power and presence in their life for every part of the purpose that I have for them. So those two things were important for David's victory. Now, how did David literally shrink? How he shrunk the giant into the little man? First of all, first of all, listen, church. This is critical. Listen, because we deal with this every day in our lives. He didn't let natural appearances affect him what it looked like in the natural we just read it do you see how this man keeps coming out he comes out to defy Israel the king's going to give wealth and his daughter and tax exemption to the man who kills, get, kills him and David says what's going to be done and they repeat it and then David says to Saul let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine 
I'll go out and I'll fight him. You see, David didn't see nine and a half feet, 565 pounds of flesh. David saw 565 pounds of gold coins and a beautiful young wife and his whole family not paying taxes. He didn't see in the natural. He saw opportunity. Are, are you catching this? And every day, now, now listen, have you all ever heard the expression, you know, it's all in the eyes of the beholder? You ever heard that? Well, it's really true. That is really the truth. It's all in the eyes of the beholder. And the little big man, I borrowed that, the little big man, there was a movie called that, the little big man, David, saw this window of opportunity to glorify his God and to get a blessing in his life and for his family at the same time. Now, church, have you ever noticed how our enemy, who is a bully, tries to get you into fear and intimidation almost every day of your life? Have you noticed that? Come on, talk to me. This is, this is class interaction here. Have you noticed that? He tries to get you in fear and intimidation. To keep you down through fear and intimidation because of natural circumstances. Because of what something looks like. Because of that nine and a half feet thing standing in front of you that, that can be mowed down by one word. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. I cast you away from me and every knee will bow and every tongue confess and take out your sword like we saw last week and say, and all of a sudden, nine and a half feet, a little stack of paper about that high. It's a paper mache giant. We are the Americans at Pearl Harbor when that general said, I fear we have awakened a sleeping giant. Come on, church. We're the sleeping giant. The giant is paper mache waiting on the word of God to dwindle him down. David did not let anything in the natural way it appeared affect him. It's bully tactics. Fear is negative faith. Say it with me. Fear is negative faith. And intimidation is perverted reality. That's not from a book or whatever. The Holy Spirit gave me that at my desk. Listen, say it again with me. Fear is negative faith. And intimidation is perverted reality. How do you combat them? Through faith and through truth. The opposite of negative faith is faith. Believing faith. And through truth, the reality of what that is facing you and what that is. And the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. So instead of, I'll never make it, that's too hard for me to do. Instead of, you know, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. I'm not smart enough to, be, to go to med school. I, I don't have the, the money for that. Only rich people can do that. I'm, I'm too old to start a church. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You look at me. He'll never change. He's been like that all his life, and he'll be like that the rest of his life. He'll never change at all. How about starting looking at it this way? What God says, I can do all things in God through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I have the mind of Christ and the wisdom on top of that. And my daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Abraham was way older than me when he took his nation and took his people out. And he is free from that bondage because of the cross. And God says, he whose son sets free is free indeed. Do you have it? Fear and intimidation, natural appearances come to frighten you and to intimidate you. For I actually did the homework 40 years ago. And I'm not proud of this church. I was not always a Christian, always saved. I worked 24 years on the railroad, and we were a pretty rough lot. And I'm the youngest of three sons. So if, if I wanted the chicken breast, I had to fight for it. Are you with me? That's why I love wings today. That was all that was left. 
<laughs> and my daddy and his brothers, they, they were a pretty rough lot too. In Kaplan, they, they, they didn't have football teams back then. They had boxing teams. And, and so we grew up. We, so anyway, 40 years ago, a good friend of mine and I, I'm not proud of this church. I just want you to get the point here. We are, we are at a lounge on North Port of Lafayette, and we're out there, and you know how that goes when you're drinking and you're young and, you, and, you, and you're stupid and you're not saved, you're lost, you're in the flesh, and that's where I was. And me and this guy started making eye contact, and we said, that, oh, what you looking at, what you looking at, what you looking at? And we end up in the parking lot. We go in the parking lot, and there's my friend next to him, and... and, and this is my good friend David right now who's, who's uh, in Mississippi. And David's there taunting this guy. And he's saying, you don't know who you're fooling with. You don't know who you're fooling with. You don't know who you're fooling with. And this guy starts unbuttoning his ch- shirt. I said, this man is taking clothes off to get in a fight. This ain't good. And as he started taking his shirt off, I realized that this is the modern... Ninja Turtle. This guy has got ripples on his body that are not ripple before it was fashionable. This is 40 years ago. People weren't built like that 40 years ago. And I said, what have I done? David keeps taunting him and he says, you don't know what you're getting. We were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the phone. He, you don't know what you're doing, everything else. And all of a sudden I hear, those of you who know, he, he just, he knocked him out. He said, I'm going to get rid of him first. Out. I mean, he's hitting the gravel. I said, I'm in big trouble now. And I look at this man, and listen, church, I am intimidated. I was 26, 27 years old, and I was in good shape and had been in scraps. This wasn't my first fight. I said, I'm in serious trouble. And I looked at him, and I said, what am I going to do now? I don't have a choice, okay? Now, I do remember getting up from the gravel. (laughs) I'm telling you, you can call David in Mississippi. I do remember getting up from the gravel, but I didn't hurt anywhere. So I remember, and he was putting his shirt back on. I said, well, did I slip and hit my head? Or did, I'm going, you know, because did he hit me? Or what happened here? I don't, I still today, I don't know what happened. And he got in his truck and he drove off. And we still laugh about that. David and I laugh, but David got knocked out. I know that. He told me later on, he said, man, that hurt. But I was intimidated by this man. Now, how many of you men in here have been intimidated by something? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Have y'all all been intimidated by something? How many of you ladies in here have been intimidated by something? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, well, let me tell you all something. There is a bully called Beelzebub, called Satan, called the devil, who is a bully who wants to intimidate you. He wants you doing what I was doing that night, looking and saying, oh, my God, what I'm going to do now? I'm in big trouble now. He wants to defeat you through intimidation and through fear, and you can't let him. Number two. David fought his fight with his weapons. We just read that. He didn't fight his fight on the terms of the giant, the the nine and a half foot guy, okay? And he ran quickly toward the giant, okay? Now, what would have happened, like I said, if he had been in Saul's armor? Do you think he could have run? You think he could have fought his fight? He'd have been fighting in the same armor that Goliath had, okay? And he would have lost. And that's when he would have been cut up in many, many pieces. Church, listen to me. If I can get you to understand this, I've been preaching it to you for three weeks. That if your enemy, the devil, Satan, if he can get you to fight his fight in his arena, in his ring, you will lose. But if you can get him... In your arena, which is the spiritual realm, you've already won because of the cross on Calvary. All you're doing is mopping up. Are you with me? He wants you fighting in the flesh. 
He wants you depending on man more than God. He wants you thinking your way out of it instead of praying your way out of it and fasting your way out of it. He wants you discouraged and looking at the circumstance and throwing your hands up and saying there'll never be hope here. There's no way that I can accomplish this. He wants you fighting in your strength instead of the strength of the Holy Spirit and our God who has already defeated your enemy on Calvary. He wants you in his realm, which is what? The soulish realm, the mind, the will, and the emotions. He doesn't want you in the spiritual realm where all you have to do is start calling out the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, no way, devil, because we're going forth and we're going in victory. As a matter of fact, we're going on the offense, right, Brother Daniel? We're going on the offense. And every Tuesday, this church is going on the offense at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we are binding and we are loosing and we are coming at the devil on Tuesdays. Have any of you noticed since we started doing that how the attack has kind of increase I've talked to someone about that yesterday and again today it's like everything you ever heard the expression all hell is breaking loose well that's exactly what's happening because we're chasing them come on come on that's why God said this church is going to be a praying church this church is going to start doing spiritual warfare and we are going to start taking the offense instead of just constantly in the defense in your ring, that's another, another thing my brother will share with you for sure. He knows, and, and, and I know. Let me tell you something. If you get a fighter who gets you fighting his fight, brother, you in trouble. Goes the same way in the, in the military, doesn't it, Brother Daniel? We got to do like David and fight our fight, not the fight of the devil. Boy, I tell you what. How many of you, now, don't raise your hand. How many of you find yourself fighting spiritual matters? The giants, these fleshly things, these, these problems, these, these attacks on your mind, these physical attacks, the attacks on your children, your spouse, your home, your, every, everything. How many of you find yourself fighting them in his weapons and his way in the flesh. And all of a sudden you're worrying yourself and you don't have any teeth left because you ground them down. Huh? Come on. Yeah. I know I have. Instead of saying, let me tell you something, enemy. You're not going to have my family. Because God's word says, it says that I have authority over all of your power and that I can bind here and what God is in agreement with will be bound in heaven and I bind you off of my kids I bind you off of my life and off of my home and in the name of Jesus because that name every knee must bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord and in the name of Jesus Get thee behind me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take out my big stick and my sling right now, and I'm going to start reading it and quoting it. And devil, let me tell you something. You get behind me. Now, if you're too embarrassed to do that in the living room, go close your door in your bedroom and do it. But let me tell you something. You need to do that. Because you see, that's what David did. That's how he shrunk 565 pounds into 565 pounds of gold and a wife who he got. Number three, David relied on his source of strength. We just read it. Just, we just read it. David looks at the little man. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Let me, let me, let me say it again. I, I think these things pass by, so let, let me do it again. David looks at the little man. Are y'all catching it? Are y'all understanding this? Come on, let me do it on this side. See, look, David looks at the little man. Because you see, that's what David saw. He looks at the little man. And listen to what he says. You come at me with sword and spear and javelin. 
But I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And he does that. When he does that, the entire Philistine army takes off running for their hometown. They said, we never thought we could possibly have to serve and be slaves to the Israelites. We thought they were going to have to do that with us. They didn't live up to the agreement or, the, or to the deal that Goliath had said. They were supposed to just surrender and become slaves to Israel. Did you ever catch that in that story? They didn't. They ran for the hills and they chased them and they slaughtered them all the way to the gates of their city. David said, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you. you. Are you hearing me? All the little demons, not just the main big demon, all of the little demons, church, all of them. They all got to run and hide back and you can chase them all the way. Now, listen, let me give you a caution here. David is not sight impaired. He's not seeing impaired. He realizes there's nine and a half feet of a man there in front of him. But he looked beyond that because God had already anointed him. Have y'all ever seen a lion at the zoo? How, how many? Raise your hand if you've seen a lion at the zoo. You've been to the zoo and you've seen a lion. Do you think you could run from that? Have you seen those legs and, I mean, five, six hundred pounds of, of animal? Have you ever seen a bear in the zoo? Have you been on the UL campus in the biology department and see? I don't know if they still have it. I used to stand and look at that big grizzly bear. Is it still there? That bear's still there, Joe? Let me tell you something. Go, go there. Go look at this grizzly bear. You, your mouth is going to drop. David had killed a bear like that, and a lion like that. So David was very much aware. Now listen to me, church. Here, here's the catcher. Here's your hook. That day, the world, the world, are you with me? The world saw only one man, Goliath. David saw only one man. Listen to me, church. This, this is the whole point of this story. David saw only one man too, his God. God was as real to David as Goliath was to the soldiers. But you see, the difference is the soldiers walked by sight. And David walked by faith. That's scripture, by the way. The soldiers walked by sight. And David walked by faith. The soldiers walked by sight. David walked by faith. The world walks by sight. Believers walk by faith. What is faith? It's believing in those things you can't see as though they are. It is the substance of those things. That means that it's already starting to materialize because what you believe in the spiritual starts materializing in the natural. And all of a sudden you say, my God, dang Dang, we've been praying for that for three years, brother. Look at it. There it is. The vision of this church. The two consecutive dreams a year apart of families opening their doors in subdivisions and saying, where do we go to church? And they're building 115 of them right here and 120-something of them right here. And Copperfield behind that. And one over there, Sable Palms right over there. How many years ago was that, Jim? 14 years ago? 13 years ago, before we even, before this was here, there was nothing but cane fields out here. Come on, that's faith. The world walks by sight. Well, I don't see that. Believers walk by faith. 
The soldiers, the Israeli soldiers, shame on them. Running every for 40 days and 40 nights in the morning and every afternoon. Brother Daniel, you wouldn't do that. You'd, you'd have been a David. He's got the heart of David. This man has a heart. He'd have stood up and said, guys, come on, guys. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's go get that big hunk of nothing. Come on. Now, you know I wouldn't be worth a dime as a preacher if I didn't do this. But let me ask you something. Are you a soldier today? Are you a David today? Come on, church. Are you a soldier today? Walking by sight? Or a David today who says, Devil, I got news for you. I'm putting you on notice. What's, what's your Goliath today? Think with me. Come on. Hang in there with me another minute. What's your Goliath today? Is it relational? Is it financial? Is it physical illness? Is it doubt? Is it fear? What are you so fearful about I shared with y'all weeks ago on Wednesday night when we went through that whole thing of deliverance, that whole message of what the sun sets free is free indeed. All my life suffered a fear of man. Come on. What is it in your life? Is it that job or lack of job? Is it, what, what is it? What, what's going on here? What is that hunk of worldly flesh screaming in your ears lies to you. What is it that you're battling? What is going on? What is it in your life? Now, come on. You've got to decide what it is. And after you decide what it is, I want you to be honest enough. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Y'all know how we've been going through the circle maker? I want you to put it in one of those circles. And then I want you to encircle it in prayer and warfare and start quoting the word over it every day and saying feelings of inadequacy and feelings of rejection and feelings of no worth and all of those lies I've been believing. Circle. I want you to circle them and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm a child of God. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I have victory. I want you to circle it. If it's finances, I want you to say, my God is my supplier, and he will meet all my needs in Christ Jesus. I want you to circle it every day in prayer. Come on, can you do that? How about health issues? Huh, my brother? You have victory in the name of Jesus. Miss Gail was supposed to be here this morning, Brother Darren's mama. She was supposed to be here. I don't know what happened, but she was supposed to be here this morning because how many of you have been praying for Miss Gail? Her cancer is in remission. She told me yesterday, it's in remission. You know what she told me months ago? She said, Pastor, I want to be the first major miracle at Living Faith Church. And guess what's happening? Come on, we've been encircling her. We've been cursing cancer. We've been proclaiming the word of God that by his stripes she is healed. Come on, church, stand up. Let's pray together. We're going to end this in prayer.